Restless Midlifer podcast. Get health, weight and life back on your terms. Hi and welcome to episode 70 of the Restless Midlifer podcast and I have another interview with uh, for you today and it's with Brian Mitchell who I first heard on Pete Matthew uh, his podcast, The Meaningful Money Podcast. Um, and Brian is known as the Frugal Spender on Instagram, on YouTube, and has a, a podcast out, uh, a, a new podcast, which is dealing with a topic of financials, finance, freedom, and happiness, uh, and health around that. And, and Brian explains a bit more of that. But one of the things that captured my attention about Brian's um, work and story was the fact that he he made a couple of those those classic midlife decisions that are and choices that I think many of us can learn from. Uh, Brian's a former police officer, and um, his his he talks a little bit about his early life and then moving into the police and how some of the decisions and the emotional challenges and and the the resistance that I guess he felt around making some significant change, moving away from a, a, a you know, a secure job. The police is a secure role. As I'm a former police officer, spent a lot of time in the the job and really struggled in terms of the shift of mindset from that that secure, comfortable, but still really challenging and, and in so many ways, obviously challenging job, into that more flexible, free type of work, but less secure, less more, far more un, unpredictable, that kind of thing. So Brian's talked about his experiences, and, and I think that's a really, really useful uh, experience for him to share with us. But then also talks about uh, his current work, frugal spender coaching, money coaching, uh, and that aspect. But particularly, we dive into what do we need to get in place? What are the basics that we need to get right? What, what do we need to talk about in or focus on in reality if we do have some uh, decisions to make around our career shifting changing moving out of this into that uh, what are the things that we need to get as the foundation the basics and he has again some great advice and tips on that so that's um the interview coming up very shortly and um i guess really the the, the thought that i had this week really to share with you around health and particularly around um, getting our weight back under control perhaps losing some weight is um i had a heard a great uh, explanation of how we might see that process now if you imagine you have um, that basic sort of calculation of energy in versus energy out and the deficit between the two is whether we you know um, depending on the direction of that deficit is whether we put on weight or lose weight now that is the basic now obviously we're all individuals and different and what motivates us and moves us and and what you know what we need to factor in it is different but that is the basic and Maintaining a, a deficit that is sustainable for long enough to achieve the goal and then something we don't snap back from afterwards is a key part. How we do it, there's a load of different ways, but that's the key factor. But one lovely little explanation I heard, and I can't remember where I picked this up on a uh, uh, podcast uh, somewhere, was if you think about the, the systems that are involved, one is to burn more calories, i.e. movement, exercise, activity. The other is to take in less energy less calories which is through diet and there are a number of ways of doing that and diet i use that word hesitatingly but it is the word that we mean is what we eat and and how much we eat um now if we imagine the approaches might be if you think of those as systems um in an engineering sense i guess even if you use one system to its extreme are you diet to an extreme then you're putting a lot of strain on the system and the system is therefore at a greater risk of breaking which is what we often see if you embark on an all or nothing type plan uh, very rigid very low calorie whatever those you know the approach is might work for a while but we are taxing the system the evolutionary human system that we are that needs to um you know to to survive there are counter forces and that system can be stressed and broken if we're not careful and you know, the evidence suggests and shows quite strongly that if we are, um, the diets of that nature just don't work in terms of sustainability. Or we could go the other way, exercise, activity, and we could stress the system that way. So physically, we could work hard and, and push our boundaries that way. But again, when we push the system, the stress the system to that extreme, what happens is, well, the system can break. We can injure ourselves, burn ourselves out, get sick, just really sick and tired of doing things, start to... Um, pick up the, the, the longer-term niggling injuries and that kind of thing. The system gets stressed and can be broken. So instead of picking one, and this is the approach that I quite liked as a visual, is instead of picking just one and stressing that, why not 
utilize each of the systems to a lesser extent, not putting the strain on the system, putting a little bit as, as inevitably because any change, any shifting of activities and things we do is going to tax the system, but not put the strain on that leads to breakage. So we utilize them each to a small extent and achieve similar but more sustainable results in the long run by because we're not taxing the systems to breaking point. We're using the systems in a less intense way for a longer period of time. Now, I really like that as just a way of reframing and thinking about that in terms of our health. Less is more, but if we do it from the number of levers we pull, then perhaps we've got more options and we give ourselves a better chance of sustaining it. So anyway, just some food for thought for this week and uh, on with the interview with Brian. Again, as I said, a great interview. Uh, Brian has some great thoughts around um, how we can get ourselves back into some good foundational habit, financial habits to then give us the, the confidence and um, the ability to make some lasting decisions, whether that be to reduce hours, you know, retire early, change a job, that kind of thing. So take care for now. Hi there, Brian. It's uh, great to have you along. And uh, as per my quick intro, I don't think I've done quite justice to yourself uh, and your your experience and your story. Um, so do you want to tell uh, the Restless Midlife listeners out there about yourself, about your story, and then we'll dig in a bit because I think you've got a great story and experiences to share, but also what you're working in now is really, really, I think, relevant to a lot of midlifers who might be thinking about changing career, changing jobs, moving to something, perhaps even starting a business, that kind of thing. Yeah, sure. Hi, Dave. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Um, I have a bit of a weird story, I think, in comparison to most who are in the position that I'm currently in, which is currently, I mean, I'll work backwards a little bit. I'm currently a sort of, I guess the best description is a money coach and a personal finance content creator. And there's quite a few of us out there at the moment. But I think my story that led me to where I am now um, is a little bit different because most people kind of come from a financial background, either work in the finance industry or have previously and then kind of merged into the kind of crazy world of social media and trying to help people that way. Um, so I was born in the UK. I briefly did a six-month stint at a young age in Texas, in Dallas. My, I think my dad had a job there, so we kind of moved out there for a bit. No memories of that whatsoever. And then spent the next 13 years of my life in Cape Town in South Africa. Um, so up until that point, that's all I ever really knew was this beautiful country with nice beaches. Um, I never really envisaged moving anywhere else. That's just, that was kind of my life. And if you know anything about South Africa and the state of affairs in Africa in general, actually, um, <laughs> politically, socioeconomically, it's not a great place to, to live, really, um, unless you have a ton of money and can live in gated communities where you segregate yourself entirely from crime. Um, the really bad effects of poverty and poor government is the only real way I can describe it. And I lived in South Africa post-apartheid, so um, not that I'll go into that, but obviously the horrendous racism through 70s and 80s. Um, I was born in 89, so I was on the tail end of that. I think it only ended around about when I was born, just before. But I saw the back end of that and the kind of society that I grew up in was so, so divided. Ra uh, racially, um, class aspect of things was very much, you know, poor live here, rich live there. And I guess that's kind of the same everywhere to a certain extent, but very much so in South Africa. Um, my parents split up when I was quite young. So I was five. Um, my mum raised myself and my two siblings. I was the youngest of three, which in a country where there isn't any benefit system, there's no real help from the government. Is quite hard. I mean, more so for my mum than me, I'd imagine. But, you know, she had to work nonstop to provide for us. So I think that kind of was the beginning of the kind of resilience that I would say I have now. Um, started at a young age there where I was kind of like, I saw my mum probably quite little really when I was young because my brother and my sister almost raised me as a result of that. Um, we had a lot of freedom to do things. So that kind of gave me the, it kind of molded me into who I am today. So that was me up until about 14, moved to the UK um, on a whim, really. It's quite a funny story. Uh, even though I was British, I had a British passport. It's quite easy for me to come here. My my granddad got quite ill with cancer and he lived in the UK. And we, my mum moved us over here under the guise of a holiday, <laughs> which is quite funny. Um, it was meant to be a three-month holiday. Um, 
And three months in, she said, yeah, we're, uh, we're living here now. So that was my, my introduction to the UK. A bit different to how other people kind of emigrate, but um, in hindsight, obviously a very good move because uh, living in South Africa, who knows what position I'd be in now if that was the case. Um, then I, uh, at age 18, started my working career, which was bartending um, is where I started. I worked in hospitality for the next sort of six years, kind of bartending, bar management. Um, I was an account manager for a, a, a big cider company. In the background of this, I knew what I was doing wasn't meaningful. I wanted to do something that, cliche as it sounds, is to help people, to do something that kind of got me out of bed in the morning and a bit of purpose. So in the back of my mind, for whatever reason, I always wanted to be a police officer. Um, and there was no reason there was nobody in my family that were police, which is quite often the case. Um, it was just kind of this dream almost. And I, I, I'd never really thought it would come to fruition. And it probably took me, well, it took me three attempts to get in finally. But the first two, I just kind of half-assed it. I didn't really, the application process, as you know, is is quite laborious. Um, and there's many stages to it. And it sometimes takes a couple of years to even get in anyway. So I kind of did it possibly subconsciously with the idea that, I didn't want to try too hard because if I was going to fail, I don't know how I would have felt about the kind of, I'm definitely not getting in feeling. Mm. Um, so after two attempts, I thought, okay, I'm going to do it now, finally. And this was at age 27 or late 26. I thought complete career change from where I was at. Um, hospitality, I'm going to do it. I'm going to, the rest of my working life is going to be in the police. So I put everything into my application um, and I got in. So I got in early 2018 when I turned uh, 28 and spent four, just over four years in the force. Um, and we'll get into probably more detail as to why I left the force, but that's kind of my background as, as to where I got to, to that point. Um, where I got to where I am now was kind of like another shift, complete shift. I know we're talking, your whole podcast is all about that midlife sort of we can call it, we can call it a crisis because it kind of was, because I think, um, people change when there is a crisis. That's how I, that, that's normally the catalyst to, for somebody to realize there's an issue here and I need to change. And for me, it was financially. Um, that's where I, I create content about money now is to almost fill the void of where I was in the police is to try and help people. But essentially I got myself into a lot of debt. Um, subjectively a lot of debt may not be objectively, but I got into myself the nearly 6,000 pounds worth of debt on my own without the knowledge of my partner, anyone in my family. Um, and this is from gambling, something that I've never previously done. I just kind of went down this rabbit hole of, um, betting a bit of money, won a fair bit of money, won, I think close to two grand and thought, well, this is easy. I'm going to continue to do this. This is how I'm going to make my millions. Obviously, that is not how it works. And I've very quickly lost that £2,000 and uh, another nearly six. Um, and that for me was rock bottom. This was coinciding with um, the stresses of being a police officer. Um, and I thought, I really need to make a change here. And I, I genuinely, I still, I mean, I talk about this quite a bit, but I remember sitting on my sofa downstairs. I broke down into tears. I was by myself. I had absolutely nobody to talk to about the fact that I got myself into this debt because I'd done it myself. And I'm the kind of person, I'm quite introverted in, in many ways. Um, and I quite like to keep things to myself and sort it out myself and try and, and try and do it, which in hindsight is probably not the best way to deal with anything like that. But for me, that's just who I am. And I spent probably thousands of hours of my time researching personal finance, watching YouTube videos, reading books, figuring out how this sort of weird world of personal finance works. Because to me, it was this mystical men in suits in London, bankers. Well, these guys know how this works. Everybody else, we just do our nine to five job, get on with it. And if we can have a pension one day, fantastic. But the truth is it's more accessible than we know. It's just putting the time into it. So I managed to get myself out of a lot of debt entirely within 10 months, which on a police officer salary at the time, I think it was on about 23,000 pounds a year. So not, not a great salary. Um, and did it all without my partner knowing. Um, and then obviously when I became 
debt-free from that perspective. I told her what had happened, which was very liberating. And I decided, you know what, I can do it. I've learned how to do this. I'm not the smartest person in most rooms. So if I can do it, other people can do this. So I um, I try and simplify what I did, things I've learned, um, and yeah, and try and help other people. And that's where I'm at now. I create content across multiple platforms, started on TikTok, which which um which is quite funny, really, because my partner, I know I said this in the previous podcast that you listened to, um, but yeah, she she used to listen to TikTok and watch TikTok rather. And it was genuinely just people dancing and like yeah. funny, funny cat videos and stuff like that. So I just thought, why, why on earth would I do this? But she said, just make, create a video, put it on there and see what happens. And then, you know, two, three videos in, I've got a few hundred thousand views in one of my videos. And then I thought, actually, there's something to this. So continuously just every week or two, we just kind of put more videos up and people start asking me questions because once you start putting content out there, you become this expert, even though you don't, you know, you never feel like an expert in these sort of things, but people start asking you questions and realize there's a huge gap of knowledge within uh, society as a whole, especially young people that people just don't know this stuff. And it's, it's one or two clicks away on YouTube, but unless you go out there and search it, you know, you're not going to find it. So my idea was to try and get information out there to people who potentially didn't know they needed it, but can just benefit their lives. Um, then I started creating YouTube videos, Instagram, and most recently a podcast. Cool. Yeah. And, and you do coaching now, don't you, around this, the financial um, aspect. So um, I, I will dig it. There's loads I want to dig into, but I guess well, the two sides is to explore the, the emotions and feelings and thoughts around change, the changes that you, you made in life but also the, the financial aspect, I think is important for, for many people, I guess, who is like me, maybe as money or financially illiterate, hopefully a, lot, a bit more than that, but um, you know, that kind of thing. So what is the coaching all about? What do you do there just to, to sort of dig into that? So once I started becoming, well, felt like I kind of had a handle on what this money stuff was, whether it was from learning to invest and things that seemed quite alien to most people, there was two kind of paths I could have taken. It was either um, get the uh, accreditation through uh, financial bodies like the FCA um, and become a chartered, whatever, whatever we want to call it after that. Um, there was a load of ways I could have done that. But then I felt like I would have been bound by what to say, who to say it to, um, which in some respects is a good thing because it protects people from bad financial advice. But on the other end, there was a kind of a bit more of a holistic approach, which is the one I took, which is um, which is more just kind of like helping people in the same situation as me, speaking in a, from a real um, personal experience from from a background where I struggled. I wanted to kind of impart my knowledge and experience to people, as opposed to what I'd read from a book, which anybody could could have done. Like anybody can go get this information through a Google search. Um, and you essentially become a bit of a robot, a carbon copy there. And this is not no disrespect to anybody who's in that sort of industry at all, but they all sound the same. They say the same things um, because they have to, they're bound by legislation. And I understand that, but I didn't want to be another robot. I wanted to try and look at things from a different angle and potentially make people think about things that they wouldn't have thought, but still get to the end result of, you know, understanding what investing is and how to do it and best ways to budget and all, all these sort of financial principles, but just kind of do it in a roundabout way where it's a bit more relatable. So I took that approach and um, I had a few friends and distant fr uh, sort of friends through friends that um, heard what I was doing, saw my stuff on TikTok. Um, and asked for some help really. So it was kind of Zoom calls, meeting in person and just doing kind of a couple of hours of sitting down together, work through their financial situation. Um, and I'll just give them some pointers and some tips as to how they can improve what they're doing. Um, break down some, maybe some myths or some confusion around, you know, what investing is. I, I say investing because it's the most confusing, I would say, least understood aspect of personal finance. Um, and when you when you have that kind of one to one hour with somebody where you can explain things at a very fundamental level, they go away from it much more informed than they would do by spending money for a, a meeting with a potential financial advisor who may or may not have nefarious ideas about nefarious is probably the wrong word because I, they are bound by legislation, but they want to make money. That's their goal. 
Whereas for me, yes, I do charge people to do money coaching, but at a genuine fraction of a price of what um, somebody in the industry would charge for potentially the same advice. Mm. So I, th- I thought I wanted to kind of, like I said earlier, is to try and take what I was doing as what I thought I was doing as a police officer is helping people um, and do it in a real raw way where um, it's something so personal as money that people just don't talk about. Mm. I can hopefully influence that without the guise of a uniform, without any kind of governing bodies behind me. It's just, just me and you, we're talking about money and I think this will improve your situation. You can go away and I'll help you do it. So that's kind of what led me to money coaching. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. I, I just I know I introduced in the the or said in the introduction uh where, you know, how we came to connect. Um, but we we've had Pete Matthew from the Meaning, well, not from the Meaningful Money, he, he hosts the Meaningful Money podcast as well as being a financial advisor. Um, and a couple of conversations that we've had have been around are very much around this, in that in his role, you know, he he is governed by a lot of these um, this legislation guidance. So there is only so much that he can sort of flex, if you like, within that. And that, that's absolutely necessary because they're, they're there because of all the, you know, people have been taken advantage of and, and fraud and what have you. But one of the things he says is that um, it's, it is actually largely about managing people or people learning to manage their themselves and their behaviour. And actually what you do, where you put it and all that is probably the, it, it's, it's where you, you need an expert like that, but actually that's, you know, if you get the behavior right, you're, you're on a great foundation. And that to me is where I see from what you're saying is, is very much about your role. And I kind of liken it to some of the work that I do with midlifers and reshape and health um, aspect, you know, the, somebody could and probably does go to a gym or does, you know, they might have a fitness coach or they might get, follow a particular diet plan or something like that. And that's not where I sit. But what I sit is at the sort of, I guess, that bigger picture level of, uh, well, let's get down to the basics. What's what's life like? You know, how are you sleeping? Um, what are the richest routines and what works for you? And then maybe you plug in a fitness thing or a gym here and that kind of thing. So you kind of help them at that foundational level, which I think is really important. So I'm always thinking in metaphors and analogies and connections. So that sounds like, correct me if I'm wrong, but it sounds like that approach from that. Is that fair? <clears throat> Yeah, no, absolutely. It's it's definitely, I mean, there's a few people in the financial space, including Pete Matthew, who was a very influential um, sort of uh, person in my financial journey. Um, he he's he, it's, it's difficult because he is in that um, financial space, but you wouldn't know it by the way he talks on YouTube. And I think he separates the two really well. Um and that's that's what I really like about him. He does. He's he's aspirational for me in that sense because he's managed to influence and connect to so many people. You know, people that I didn't even know listened to him. That when I went on his podcast, would say to you know, reached out to him. Was like, oh, that's awesome, and you know, it's really good good conversation. But I had no idea that they listened to him. These are just you know, so he's he's touched a lot of people, um, and that's not to stroke his ego, but he really is a great guy, and he is very good at breaking down. Uh, money into those into those principles. So I'm just kind of doing, you know, along the same sort of lines. But like I said on his podcast, I'm trying to move in the direction of, of um, you know, more almost more in the direction of what you're doing in the sense of a more r- r- well-rounded oh. picture of because I think they're all so interconnected, and that's something that I, I only actually realised once I started learning about money. So once I sort of dived into that one aspect of life and how. I realized I can improve myself in that situation. I realized actually by doing that, it could improve my health. It could give me the flexibility to be more free. So the three things I talked about on that podcast was health, wealth, and freedom. Mm-hmm. And those and those are three things that I've spent a lot of time thinking and writing about recently, um, just taking notes myself to try and absorb what the, what is the connection between these three things and what how how can one thing improve another thing? So for me on a daily basis now i'm i'm really trying to do something every single day for one of those three things so health could be going to the gym you know choosing a better option for lunch um you know going for a walk it was not just physical it could be mental it could be spiritual all these spiritually i'm not a religious person in in the slightest but the more I think about this kind of stuff the more I think actually you kind of spiritual health is a good thing because you've got to think we're all connected in some way so you know 
it's good to have close friendships. It's good, it's good to go and chat to somebody when you're struggling. All these things are all included in that health. So if you just do one thing every day that improves your health in some way, you're going to move in the right direction. And the whole compound effect that relates so well to money is, is in all aspects of life. And that is a great book. That, I don't know if you've read it, The Compound Effect by Darren Hardy. Um, and he breaks this down really, really well. Just you know, small incremental progress day by day by day leads to such huge, big changes in life. And it can be positive and it can be negative. So if you just do one tiny little thing every day. So, you know, that's health. Very simple. Everybody can understand that. That's, that's everybody knows, try and have less sugar, you know, try and move more, try and lift some heavy stuff at the gym every now and again. Everybody knows that's beneficial. But when it comes to, I think with wealth, most people don't know, um, which is where I feel like I put the majority of my focus. Um, everybody knows that, you know, you probably shouldn't spend a load of money on a credit card, but nobody really thinks about, should I budget? Mm. You know, some, something that's so alien to most people. It sounds like such a, um, it's got such negative connotations to budgeting. It's always like for people who have no money, they need to kind of scroll away tiny bits. That that to me was what budgeting was. And even to a certain extent, even when I say the word now, I can still feel the that's how I used to think. And the people around me used to think what budgeting is and, oh, I earn a decent salary. I don't need to budget. But realistically, everybody needs to budget. And, and unless you understand why, um, you know, living within your means, making sure you you put a little bit away for the future and learning to invest, all these little things that if you don't go out there and learn it, you're never going to know. Mm-hmm. So you do something like that financially, whether it's you know, even on a whim now, sometimes I just think so. if I've got an extra 20 pounds or something, I think 10 of that I'm going to put into save towards a holiday. And then the other 10, I'm going to go and intentionally enjoy. I'm going to go and buy myself a nice today, probably an iced coffee because it's absolutely boiling, but, but, but it's having that kind of intentionality with what you do. And so even if it, it doesn't have to be saving, it could be spending your money. And that falls within that kind of financial um, element of that sort of trifecta that I talk about. And then lastly, freedom. And for me, um, that's couldn't be more relevant to my life, um, than now. Um, because having left the police, um, I did that with a large intention to, to spend time with my family, um, and to ensure that I don't die young. And that sounds quite, um, extreme, but I think, um, doing a job where you work night shifts and you're surrounded by some tricky situations, a lot of negativity. Um, it's, I think your health declines rapidly. Um, and I could feel it towards the end of being in the police. Yeah. I could, I could feel that. Um, I, I mean, I was a frontline police officer for three of those four years. Um, and you only go on blue lights to a situation where things are rapidly deteriorating and somebody's in a crisis. When you, when you surround yourself with that day in and day out, um, sometimes, you know, at six o'clock in the morning after a night shift and you're driving at very high speeds, putting yourself and everyone else at risk to go to an incident that, you know, may, may not warrant those blue lights, but you have to do it because, you know, no one else is going. Um, and it's a situation that is, you know, for that person, the biggest thing in their life, and you have to go in with fresh eyes every single time. And it's, um, it's not an easy thing to do. And anyone who, uh, anyone who's never really thought long and hard about what a police officer does, I, I really urge them to just spend 10 minutes thinking about what it must be like to be in that situation and how it affects a police officer mentally, physically, emotionally, all those things. And for me, it drained me so much to the point where I was like, I, I genuinely feel like I'm going to get to, to 60 and I, 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 that'll be it for me because I just felt like this, I could just see this curve of decline. So for me, the, the, the ability to step away from that was a huge decision, but it, it allowed me the freedom to make my own life to a certain extent. Um, I went from you know, being in a very air quotes, stable job um, to being self-employed. So I have the freedom to kind of fill my day with how I want. And if it means me picking my daughter up from school or taking her to school most days, that's what I now do. And for me, that's freedom. Um, and I think that's kind of the last part of the kind of three for me. Yeah. Yeah. And there's so much in each of those. If we take the last one first, cause I think that that's very powerful, isn't it? Do it, 
the, your experience, the way you've explained that. I think free that that this is one of the things I think about the 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 challenge that sometimes that many of us in in midlife uh, mode, if you like, can get to. We we build a career largely perhaps on on a whim, you know, or, or a, a feeling like I want to be a police officer. I mean, I've bimbled into the job. It was something that I kind of just I didn't know what else I wanted to do. But many of us join a profession or start something because we we're, we're driven to, and that could be because of influence of family, parents, bringing lots of things. But it's often at a younger age, isn't it, these formative dreams? And I think perhaps it's changing now, but I know the generation that I was of was very much my parents were post-war. It was very much get a degree, get a job and stay there, you know, work hard and see your time out type of thing. So it's kind of influenced that feeling of like what you pick is what you stick at. Um, so I might have scratched the itch. I might have all, you know, always wanted to be a police officer. I didn't, but if I did... I pretty much scratched that itch within the first few years of the job. But what I did was I made a mistake and it wasn't, you know, I just didn't know any better that, you know, kind of thinking, well, people would say, get get you two years under your belt, son, you'll be fine. You're set for life, all of that, you know, you, you and you start getting the debt, the mortgage and the lifestyle that, that sort of, well, handcuffs you in to use the policing, uh, policing phrase, you know, that it, it traps you in a way. And I think this is a challenge in professions where we start to live a lifestyle according to, you know, the income. But we find that actually this profession isn't the thing. It might have been or it might never have been. But at some point, I want to change. I want to do something else. I feel like I don't have the freedom to spend the time I want with family, etc. So I think you're right. I think that's a very powerful thing. And the options are... You know, you just ignore that inner voice. We're talking about the spiritual, for me, I'm not religious either, but I, I don't know, I try to define spiritual as, I don't know, um, that just that inner voice that I kind of put in another box, you know. Um, so, But that voice that's saying, there's got to be more to life than this. You, you, your options can be to just ignore it, to drown it out, to work harder, to drink, whatever, uh, or to, some, to do the scary thing, which I think is to pay attention to it and to, to make those changes. And I think that's the scary bit if you've got a lot resting on it, responsibility-wise, you know, ego, all of those things. Um, and that's what I'm fascinated with because there's two sides of this. One is the decisions that you made. That's a brave decision, um, albeit it was driven by that strong emotions there. So it would be worth talking us through that. And then where could, you know, how can people start to look at their own lifestyle from their responsibilities, their financial commitments and that to, to start making some changes if they were to want to change. Do you know, that's kind of the area that I'm really interested in. So, you know, when you made the decision, I guess if we go there or you're making that, you felt that. Talk us through the, the you know, how you, how you sort of came to terms with it and how you broke the news, you know, what was the influences or the, the counter pressures you might have experienced in, in that? Well, I, I always said, so when I, when I joined the job, I, I mean, like I said, it was always something, well, I say always from about 1920 was always something that I wanted to do. I put being a police officer on a pedestal. For me, that was that that job. I always looked at police officers walk past me in the street. I had the utmost respect for them. They drive past, I think, oh, how cool must it be to drive hundred miles an hour with that blue lights on? It must be so fun. So I kind of, I put this like, I really, um, I don't know. It was they were almost. It was almost godlike. It is it, probably the best way I can describe it. They weren't. It was almost like they were superhumans. They were Marvel characters. So I kind of aspired to be that. So when I joined, especially during training, um, and for anyone who doesn't know, it's quite a long sort of training process of I mean, six months before you even go out and get tutored by somebody. Um, but I always kind of overheard conversations with people who are in the job for a long time. And people, even not even a long time, maybe even four or five years, who were just would just whinge about everything, and they became this really run down, bogged down because they'd seen so much stuff and done so much stuff that the average person had never seen or done. They kind of became almost almost senile is probably the best way to describe it. They kind of just put themselves into their own little bubble and just kind of. I, I, they even would, the phrase would be just turn up, do your best and go home. I don't know if you ever heard that in the police, but I heard that a lot. And I always said to myself, um, if I ever get to that stage, I need to leave. And it, if, whether I believed that would ever happen, probably not. But I always would say to people who are in my course and people in the same length of service as me, I don't what is wrong with these people? Why are they doing this? What's wrong with them? So I had this real kind of like, burning passion for the good for the first two years of the job 
And I think that's quite common. I think I think it takes about two years when your probation ends, when you start seeing the reality of um, potentially the the internal politics, even the external politics, and how you you know you are a number. You are literally a number in the police. They give you a number, and you are called by that number. That's you are a number. But in the beginning, you, um, you I don't think anyone really fully believes it. You kind of think. Um, I have a name. I have. I'm a person, but you're very quickly replaced. Not not very well because it's, there's a long training pro, uh, process through to, to get to get to a skilled level on the job. I think, but you are. Um, I think once I realised that um, I was just a number, and um, I could be replaced tomorrow, that for me was kind of the beginning of. Hmm, I can't really influence much around me other than the general public that I go to on a day-to-day basis that I'm going to do my utmost to help. Um, and I would, I remember, I think it was probably four years in, um, relatively highly trained in the job, I suppose, you know, I was carrying a taser. I was being able to, I could drive at high speeds on blue lights, all the things that I aspired to do in the job. And I remember, um, going to a job that on the way there, driving over hundred miles an hour to a job. And I remember thinking to myself, why am I driving this fast to go to this? Don't forget, if you're finding that your health has taken a backseat whilst you work to achieve greatness in other areas of your life, the Reshape Academy, my coaching and programs are here to help you continue to achieve that success with and not at the expense of your health. Find out more at midlifereshape.com. I, 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 it was a, almost a penny drop moment where I thought to myself, "I said, I can't, I can't continue to do this job. I, I honestly, I can't because if I'm going into this, um, and, uh, well, I can't remember what the job was now, but whatever that job was, I went into it with a preconceived idea of what it was. It and, and in my mind, it wasn't worthy of me driving that fast. And I thought, that's it. I've, I've hit the point now where I, uh, I've become that police officer, and I could feel it in everything I did." I got bogged down by paperwork, all of these things that I realized actually I've become what I didn't want to be. And it wasn't just me. I think this is anybody, if anyone's listening to this who's in the job, will 100% relate to it. But anybody who's potentially um, in, a, in, a, in a job that's related to government, I think it's probably quite anything that's very um, system based and paperwork based, is everybody whinges about it. But nobody, for the vast majority, nobody does anything about it. Everyone just said, everyone just goes, yeah, fine. Another form I need to fill in. It's counterintuitive for me to do this, but I'm going to do it because that's what, that's what I've been told to do. And I would always question it sometimes out loud, but a lot of the time internally. And I would always think to myself, this just doesn't make any sense. I'm just going along with this. The goal is to, as a police officer is to go out there and help people is to catch baddies is to, to help people in their worst times. But 5% of my job or less was me doing that. Um, and this coincided with me improving my financial situation. So I was in a position, luckily, where my partner, who was always part-time through sort of raising our daughter, um, she went self-employed just before the first lockdown, which was a poor timing, unfortunately, but actually it worked out really well because she, she set up a wedding planning business. Um, so obviously massive dip down during lockdowns and nobody was getting married. Um, but as, as we got off the tail end of it, business started doing really well. And this coincided with me putting all of our financial foundations in place. So it was me getting out of debt. It was us as a family being in a good position. We had a mortgage already from prior to me being in the police anyway. Um, but I had a conversation with her and said to her, look, we need to align with our financial goals for the future. What do you want to do? What do I want to do? And we both aligned, you know, we both wanted to retire reasonably young and have a comfortable life that we both agreed on a date and how much money we think we should have. And for me, that was a huge step because it was very much me doing it by myself beforehand. Mm-hmm. But we got, we, we squirreled money together and we said, look, we need an emergency fund. One of the biggest pillars of personal finance, you need to have a summer money set aside because if things go wrong, 
you know, you don't want to rely on debt for that because it's only going to get you in a worse position. So I went from the complete opposite from somebody who was in debt, knew nothing about money. My partner, Georgia, she did all the personal finance in our house. Um, she She's the organized one. So she was always by default, the one who would look at our bank accounts and make sure we had enough money in there for the mortgage and enough money for food. I took on all of those roles because I suddenly became really interested in it. And I found myself in a position where in the police, I was like, is this, this, this isn't, I don't want to retire a police officer now. This, this is certainly, that's definitely not going to happen. But can I leave? Can I leave this job that during COVID for the last two years has kept me um, in employment? In fact, I financially benefited from it because I did so much overtime because, you know, the police were, you know, police were everywhere during the lockdown, certainly in my county anyway. They, you know, they, they bolstered the numbers up and crime went down. So I, I actually financially benefited from that. So I thought to myself, can I leave? And I remember sitting, I had a conversation with Georgie and we sat down and she said, well, why don't, why don't you come and join the business and we can, we can do this together. And I actually, I stopped and I thought to myself, you know what, actually we have our finances in order. Luckily, because I you know, got myself into a bad situation and managed to sort this out. I, on paper, could leave this job. But then instantly floods of doubt and, oh, but I'm a police officer. Police officers don't leave. Um, what are my family going to think? What are my friends going to think? What's my sergeant going to think? You know, oh. all, of the, all of these things that um, everybody in the job, in particular the police, like you were saying, is something that you join and you do for your life. That probably was the biggest concern for me, was me telling my superiors that I'm going to walk away from this job. Because I, they had invested time and money into me, you know. I, I'd, I'd had training that other people didn't, mm. so I felt the sense of guilt for leaving. And then I was thinking, well, I'm going to lose my pension. I'm going to lose all these things. And I thought, you know, the only thing that allowed me to do that was having my finances in order. Mm. Because if, because if this happened three years earlier, no way, I would have been trapped. Yeah. I would have I would have like the majority of people in most corporate jobs most in the police, certainly. Um, like you said, you get accustomed to some sort of lifestyle whereby you live to your means, um, not in a good way, but in the sense that you get a slight pay rise and you buy that slightly nicer car. You buy that slightly nicer house. You buy, you know, buy that nice watch. You always get to zero. I always did. And most people I talk to do. They, they're not intentional. They don't put money away. They just, they go, oh, I've, you know, I've got an extra five grand a year pay rise. Perfect. I can now afford a BMW. That's just, that's how we've been, um, kind of uh, marketed to it's, it's what we all that's what we all think about unless you kind of step aside and go no that it doesn't have to be that way and I'm so grateful that I got myself into that bad situation because it was the catalyst for me to sort my life out financially which then kind of spiderwebbed out into sorting the rest of my life out and it, it put me in a position where I could say you know what I can walk away from this and I did um and I think anyone who's in that similar position whereby they're not happy in their job, it's it's okay to walk away. Like you, you can be the sort of maker of your own destiny. We don't have to just go by the social norms or what your neighbors are going to think or what your family are going to say. If you, if you don't feel happy and it's affecting you in many aspects of your life, which it will be, because if you're not happy at your job, you spend a lot of time at your job. And if, if you're not happy there, it's going to affect you know your physical and your mental health, and you need to that you have to prioritize those things. And that's not to say you just leave on a whim. Certainly, don't quit your job if you you know if you haven't got a bit of money behind you to to see you through a couple of months. If if if, if worst case scenario, you don't find another job, but you need to have options, and that's where that sort of freedom element comes from. Is I could have because we had an emergency fund, I could have potentially been out of a job with no income for three months. And for me, that was enough because I know I can get a job, you know, down the road at a supermarket, worst case scenario. And that for me was so liberating because I just thought, you know what, I'm not trapped by system anymore. I'm not trapped by social norms. I now, and he, you know, a lot of our friends, I mean, actually pretty much all of our friends are employed, um, nine to five, many in corporate jobs. And I think even still, a lot of them don't understand the, the sort of, um, self-employed life whereby because it's not normal you you've almost stepped away from yeah. social norms and everyone's like oh, well okay well now what do you do 
who you know who who pays you so i think um it's understanding that there's a different way of living there can be a different way of living and for me the only way you know that and can learn that is by um is by reading books is by um speaking to other people who've done it and it, it's all about just drawing from other people's experience and understanding that it's possible yeah yeah absolutely i think there's the sort there's that stepping out of the bubble, sort of getting yourself out of the bubbles that, you, that we're all in, because we're all in circles of, you know, whether it's a work circle, friendship circle, whatever, and seeing it from different, because you 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 do sort of get out, you end up, without stepping out of it, you don't see that there's another way, or you'll see that the, the faulty thinking sometimes in that. Um, and I know that, um, you know, that, that was one thing that I found I really, when I started to see outside, see all the possibilities, I started to think about, well, maybe I don't have to do this job. Um, what I did was the opposite. And I did, I jumped without sorting out my finances. I didn't, I had a business, but I didn't really have a business because I didn't have clients. I didn't know what I was doing. So my first time of leaving was very much a, a, the impulsive way. So I, what I often do is talk, and you've you've sort of talked through it loud and clear there is really, I say, if, if you've got that feeling, don't ignore it, but at the same time, don't do the knee jerk. Let's do some sums. Let's do something and let's talk to different people. Let's get your perspective changed. And you talk about getting your finances sorted first. And I think that's so important. And it, it, it's not rocket science in the same, it's own, it can be difficult. It can be scary. It can be uncomfortable. Um, but it's certainly something that gives you that ground and that knowledge, that information. And one, one thing that I think is really important, it does tie into health as well, because if you're talking about pension, uh, working towards pension, um, that may be the right thing for you because you're, you're in your job, you enjoy it, whatever. But if it's grinding you down and making you ill, then what value is that worth? What you know? If we try, it's difficult to put money value on health, isn't it? But if you think about it, the, the, you could see all sorts of consequences. I know. I mean, I mentioned just off off air, but I hit a landmark in March 23rd this year, 2022, where I would have retired at 30 years in the police if I hadn't left in 2014. Um, and it was a funny mark because that would have been the time that I would have achieved the pension, et cetera. But I, I was clearly thinking there as I made my decisions and on March 23rd and since that what would my health have been like? What would I've, what would my life be? Where would I be? And I'm quite confident that the, the cost wouldn't have been worth it. And I think that's a key thing. It's weighing these things up. Um, but at the same time, getting real about the the, fun, the sums and the relationship impact, the duties and responsibilities you have. Hmm. So, yeah. So, you know, when, um, when you talk about um, the get your finances right, what's a, what is the good starting place from your, in your experience for somebody? If they are sort of thinking, there is something I would like, I don't know what it is I want to do. I don't know where to start, but I can't see myself doing this job for the next four or five years, 10 years, whatever. The, f the first thing and and the most important thing and it is it is knowledge it is it doesn't have to be vast knowledge it doesn't have to be knowing you know multiple finance books from from cover to cover it doesn't have to be that like you said the majority of personal finance is really simple but the only way that you can uh sort of absorb that simplicity is by constantly surrounding yourself with that knowledge because if somebody said to me um five, six years ago. It's really simple, Brian. Just um just do a budget. Um, you know, spend less than you earn, uh, put your money away in some investments um, and put some money in your pension and see you later. That would have gone in one ear and out the other. <laughs> because I wasn't ready to absorb that information. So you have to, like I said, you need to have a catalyst. And for me, it was being in debt and it was being in a job that potentially didn't feel like it was right for me anymore. Without those things, I would have just bumbled along. I would have continued. I, there has to be something. And if, if it's you and, it's, and you're in a situation whereby you're not happy in your job, the first thing you need to do is go and seek this information. The, those are, that's the most important thing, knowledge and mindset. With the knowledge will come change of mindset because the more you learn about something or the more it's, it doesn't have to necessarily be an echo chamber, but to maybe to a certain extent it does. For me, I, I, I go all in on stuff. When I, when I, when I get interested in something or, um, you know, I decide I'm going to, uh, I don't know, for me, I mean, I do Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So when I started doing that, 
I, I, all I did was learn about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. You know, I, I, every single day I think about it and it got until I got to my blue belt, which took me three years to get, it's not an easy martial art to kind of progress through the ranks. So I became so obsessed with it. Um, until I got there and then I thought, oh, finally I'm there. And then my mind kind of t- took me to other places again, but I, that's who I am. I'm a very obsessive person. So with personal finance, I surrounded myself with every free minute where I, I wasn't talking to somebody. I had earphones in or in the car and I was listening to podcasts about money. I was listening to YouTube videos about money. I was listening to audiobooks. I was reading books. And that for me made me understand that it was possible to sort my own money out. Because beforehand, I didn't think I was capable of doing it. So the first thing you need to do is change your mindset. And for you, if you're listening and you're in that similar situation, you don't have to go all in. That's just who I am. So I got there potentially a bit quicker because I just, you know, surrounded myself with it. But that's how I changed my mindset. I went from thinking, actually, in in all honesty, thinking that rich people were bad people. That is to, 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 you know, that's a really unhealthy mindset to have but i really did think that and it was there was an element of jealousy i'd imagine there was probably an element of otherness because i didn't think it was achievable for me to have Mm -hmm. um some money in the bank or be comfortable or you know to go into tesco and not have to worry about how much it costs you know for me that was so alien i just thought you know you've privileged in some aspect of your life so for me my mindset shift was very much actually you know what Anybody can do this. So that was number one, mindset, 100%. And that comes from knowledge. And then secondly, you need to obviously start implementing those things. So like I said earlier, you need to have an emergency fund. And that is the buffer between you and bad things happening. Because bad things are going to happen whether you like it or not. And you have to accept that. You can't just live on the wire at all times. You can't get your bank balance to zero every month because something's going to go wrong. The ball is going to break. Your car is going to break down. These things are going to happen. You don't know when it's going to happen, but it's going to happen. So you, you need this little barrier between between bad things happening and your life imploding. And it doesn't have to be a huge sum of money. It could just be a thousand pounds. For me, that's how it started. It was a thousand pounds. And Dave Ramsey, who's uh, this American um, personal finance guru, it's a terrible word guru, but is essentially what he now is. Um, he talks about the baby steps and he talks about the kind of very systematic approach to sorting your finances out. And I think for most people, that's probably the best way to approach it because it applies to everybody. Um, so having a thousand pounds just sitting in your bank account that, um, for me, I, every time I had a thousand pounds from whatever, I would instantly calculate in my brain what I'm going to spend that thousand pounds on. Like I'd spent it before I got it, I'd spent it. Like, uh, honestly, it was, it was, I was thinking, okay, how, how can, not, not how can I turn that into more money, which is how my brain now works. It was, it was how, what can I, oh, maybe I should get a bike. Maybe I should get a, just, just because I, just because it was burning a hole in my pocket. So as soon as, as soon as you have a thousand pounds sitting in your bank account and it doesn't have, it's not allocated to anything. That's for me was possibly the biggest financial change because I realized money can sit there and almost self-insure you. It can, you know, I, I didn't have to have mobile phone insurance anymore, really, because if I crack my screen, I could pay you know, 150 pounds out of that money and get a new screen. So that's actually saving me 15, 20 quid a month of my mobile phone insurance. I mean, that's a very specific example. But once you start uh, understanding that you can take ownership and responsibility of your own finances, you start realizing you can do that for everything. And that's that's where the whole health and freedom comes in as well. But for me, that 1,000 pounds was a huge, huge benefit. And if you've never had a thousand pounds sitting in your bank account, I urge you to do your best to go and sell some stuff in your house because I guarantee you have enough stuff in your house to, to earn a thousand pounds. Sell it, put that money in a bank account out of sight and just leave it there and, and realize that that is emergencies for emergencies only. And that for, actually, you're ahead of, I would say, the majority of people in the UK, probably, well, definitely the world, but the UK, if you have that. Because most people don't, most people can't get through a month mm-hmm. if they were to lose their job. That is, that is the sad truth of the financial situation. And more now than ever during the cost of living crisis. And, you know, it might seem like a really privileged position for me to see and say, oh, I'll just sell stuff and get a thousand pounds. Because there's a lot of people out there who are really financially struggling. Because I'm I'm feeling the, the cost of living crisis. And I, I would say I've, I feel reasonably comfortable. For people who are living on the wire, 
now more than ever is when you need to get yourself into the position and you you know you could be easily trapped by a job that you hate because you think how on earth am i you know petrol's through the absolute roof how on earth can i leave my job now then what how can i afford fuel and it's a very real situation for a lot of people um you know you and i probably through your career my career but the majority of people i spent time with were people um who either had no income or very low income that is the majority um of you know the the society that the police deal with sadly so i got an insight into the real truths of people who are struggling not just financially i mean mainly financially because that kind of causes a lot of other things to collapse around you but that's kind of if you can sort the financial bit out yeah. your your life will really really improve and uh, that's from personal experience that really is the case yeah. um so so yeah so get your get get your emergency fund in place and then next you need to get yourself out of bad debt you need to get rid of credit cards overdrafts um any anything other than a mortgage essentially or a business loan something that um is a liability as opposed to an asset so an asset is something that's going to make you money or will give you an income in the future so that could be a um, a stock that provides you dividends or a stock that potentially in apple apple over time historically has grown in value so if you buy an apple stock if we bought an apple stock 15 years ago it's going to be worth a heck of a lot more now so that is an asset um you know if you buy a property and rent it out to somebody it's going to gain value and you're going to get yourself an income that's an asset if you buy a tv on a credit card that's a liability it's cost you money it's going to go down in value so you need to get rid of all those things that are costing you money or causing your overall net worth to go down so anything that you pay interest on things like overdraft especially overdrafts people who buy things on i made a video recently about um klarna or uh, sort of buy now pay later you know this is all debt this is all debt that people should really be avoiding in a time where you know the, the economy is in a very uncertain position. You put yourself in a safe position when you get out of debt. You have options. You can say no to things. You know, the ultimate goal for me is being mortgage free. And I'm going to do that as quickly as I can because then I've got no got I've got no got I own nobody anything. I can I can I can not work if I choose to, not that I'll ever be the case, I don't think, but you know, you have options. And the reason why I was able to leave the police was because I had options. So my goal is to have more and more options. Um, having no debt is a huge contributor to that. So focus on getting out of debt. And then once you're there, you need to start investing. You need to start growing your money. You need to buy things that go up in value. And I think, and the thing I talk about the most is for the most, for the majority of people, the easiest, simplest, and most effective way um, is to buy index funds which is basically just a collection of stocks. It's a safer way than just buying an Apple stock, essentially buying an entire stock market. And you just set up a, you automate your payments, you put it into this, uh, into your account, you, you know, set up for 50 pounds, hundred pounds a month, let it go into this investment account. And you don't ever have to look at it ever again, if you don't want to, you don't have to know the ins and outs. You don't have to read the financial times. You don't have to be an expert. All you need to know is the basics of what a stock is, you know, the fact that it likely to go up in value over time, just like everybody's pension, because most people don't even think about pensions as that. Everybody's an investor. They're all unintentional investors. You know, even police officers, to, you know, the money that you put into a pension, that money's getting invested, not by you, but by somebody else. Yeah. So, so you, as soon as you realize that and you go, actually, I can do that for myself and have more control and actually potentially pay less fees, which means at the end, you know, when I go to retirement, I'll have a bigger pot of money happy days, but you don't have to be an expert to do that. It can be simple. And then after that, I think everything else kind of financially falls into a place because you, once you've learned that you can build up a sum of money and keep it there, not touch it, and you get out of debt, all your financial habits have been formed because it doesn't happen overnight. Normally it takes a few months or maybe even years. And then once you've done all those things, you're in a great financial position whereby you can, you know, splash a bit of if your money on, uh, on on a nice car or if you want because you have the option to do it but you also know that your foundations of your finances are in place so that's the long-winded way of saying there is a systematic approach to this and if you do it and if you do in that order i think it applies to 99 percent of people
Yeah, yeah, it makes total sense, and I think I love the way it's we kind of you, you put it into keeping it as simple as possible because it is easy to feel overwhelmed. Yeah. You know, and I echo the the thousand pound emergency fund because that was a key step in me getting out of quite significant debt. Um, wasn't overnight, but that was one of the things. Because before that, I was in denial. I was in, let's deal with this, try, and I would go all or nothing, get overwhelmed, and then f- and forget about it, and then get back to impulsive habits. But you're right, if we can just start with foundation, and that's the same for everything. You know, I talk about it in health, you know, whether it's weight management, whether it's, you know, looking looking to develop any kind of new aspect of your life it is about the foundational stuff and you, you, you mentioned about giving yourself options i think you're, you're absolutely right you put if you can put that money away you not only give yourself options but you give yourself a psychological break don't you sense of control i can do this and you can start to talk to yourself like i am the kind of person who does that rather than the negative self-talk that that comes along with a lot of this but you're right i think I think for for the benefit of listeners, that's probably a brilliant place to sort of bring it to a close. We'll ask you about anything you've got going on at the moment there, but I think to focus on what is the feeling telling you? What what is is there a voice that's sort of saying, "Is this it?" And what can you do with that? Can you start to listen? What questions can you ask? Not necessarily jumping ship without doing the homework, um, but also not necessarily just silencing that voice. You know, there are, there are other ways. There's a big world out there. It is a scary time at the moment, but, you know, when is it not scary? There's never a perfect time to, to do to do these things. Um, and you could be waiting forever for that, couldn't you? Putting, putting life on hold, as I often say. So I think that's a good place to, to look at your finances and get some foundation in there. And if you're already along that journey, great, you can build upon that. So that's brilliant. Um, thank you very much for your time, Brian. What... what um, Obviously, you're working on coaching. So, what you've started the podcast. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about the podcast um, in particular? Because I think that just the way you've come across, and uh, I think that those because they're shorter episodes, aren't they? I think they're kind of nice bite size. Yeah, they tend to be between sort of ten and fifteen minutes, yeah. but that, uh, that's intentional because yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of and have done even before I was learning about money. I would consume a lot of content via podcast. Um, that audio kind of really resonates with me. And I think it's just easier. You can basically do anything in life whilst head with headphones in and listening to a conversation. And this conversational style is something that I'm introducing more into my podcast. And um, next week and the week after, there'll be some 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 guests will have a conversation like this. Because I think this is the best way to dig down into a subject. And I like that format. So um, the podcast for me is quite a new um, aspect of the content that I create because it was very short form videos. Um, obviously TikTok is very short form, sort of 30 seconds to a minute generally. And that is kind of distilling down ideas that I've worked through. Um, and then YouTube is a bit longer, normally about 10 minutes or so, which you can dive a bit deeper and give more examples. Um, and then Instagram is obviously just, just images that again, is quite a good way of portraying information. But for me, um, kind of taking all that all that thinking for the last couple of years and putting it into um some sort of bullet bullet point podcast format where it's just completely informative there's a 10 15 minutes right we'll talk about budgeting and then I'll kind of brain dump everything um in a, in a, in a script because I don't I don't want to go too off sort of um, off 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 script in the sense that I want it to be somebody can listen to it for 15 minutes and hopefully get quite a lot to think about and practical ways to go and apply it so the the podcast episodes i do myself are very informative short um and then the ones i have conversational style will be very much like this um sort of going down a path that seems quite interesting at the time but also sticking along the subject of personal finance and and health and and freedom as well but i really enjoy podcasts because i think i love i love them myself so and i know that is you know the most the biggest emerging sort of um form that people are absorbing information so um i thought i'd and it's actually for me it's the most enjoyable one um because it's, it's relatively simple to create because you just need to speak and then make sure you put, you know, edit it slightly. But the other ones are very time consuming, especially YouTube. It's um, It can take a, an entire day to create a 10 minute video that's of reasonable quality. Um, so yeah, no, I, I if anybody likes listening um, audio like I do, obviously you do because listening to this, but um, yeah, if you if you want to dig, dig deeper into the personal finance stuff, then come listen to my to my podcast. But certainly, if you haven't, and I'm sure you've recommended it a few times, but Pete Matthew at the Meaningful Money is one that you absolutely um, need to be listening to. 
Yeah, brilliant. So, what's the name of the podcast? Just so we can, we'll put it will be in the show notes, and the links will be there. But just to shout out the podcast name, uh, it's just the Frugal Spender Podcast, uh, and that can be um, anywhere. Yeah, I think yeah, I'm pretty sure it's on every platform now. Uh, but yeah, just, just search it, and, and you'll find it. Great. Yeah. So I think that company with Pete's because Pete. He, listening to his podcast was really a turning point for me financially as well. So I think you're right. There, there was a need for the, these kinds of down-to-earth, approachable, relatable information that you can take in sort of bite size and act upon. I think that's really important. That's the spirit of the Sprouts Sweating approach, which is what I talk about. Um, the restless midlife, but how we do it is we take the challenge, the cabbage, slice it down, chunk it into Sprout-sized actions and habits and routines. And that's pretty much what we've talked about today. It's it's amazing how when you come back to change in any aspect of life, it comes back to there's lots of massive action you could take, but actually get the foundations in place and a lot of the other stuff takes care of itself. So Absolutely. it's nice to hear again with the financial side that it's so true there as well. <laughs> Yep. And also, you know, podcast back to that. It's selfishly, it's a good way of um, distilling your ideas. And I don't know if you found that, but but just creating content in general makes you, forces you to think about stuff. So for anybody who is listening or is learning, whether it's about health or well-being or money, anything, I urge you to just kind of write stuff down. And that seems a really alien thing to do. For me, it was all, it was very alien. The first time I sat down with a kind of a Word document and and sort of just spewing out my thoughts onto paper, onto digital paper, and then looking at it again, that's such a, it's a really alien thing to do. But it will, I promise you, it will improve your thinking and also your speaking um, because any, anything that you want to learn about or want to know a bit more about yourself about, by writing it down, it, it forces you to get your thoughts on paper and then you can kind of delete stuff and add stuff and delete stuff. And, and before you know it, you've got this real solid, oh, that's what I believe. Yeah. that is, And, and then you can kind of talk to other people about it. So selfishly, the podcast does that for me because I, it makes me think, yes, that is actually what I think. As opposed to, oh, I don't know. There's so many ideas you can go to. That's what I think. So, and that applies genuinely to everything. So, if, if you don't have, you've never done that before, try it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to be fair, that's one of the key reasons why I developed the podcast. Hopefully, listeners get something out of it, but it's for me to have the ideas and, and think, work through my thinking. And yeah. sometimes they're not as well formed as others, but by the end of it, I've got, I've either got a a better idea or I've dismissed something as a result of it. So I think you're absolutely right. I mean, journaling, reflective practice, all of that kind of thing. I think getting it out of your head and being able to scrutinize it on paper or on screen can be so powerful. So, yeah. Well, it's been a fantastic conversation, Brian. Thank you for your time. I've loved it and I've loved exploring so much. There's so much more we could talk about, to be fair. But I think in terms of for today, there's some real key takeaways there. And the fact is you can, if you feel like you want to make change, you can. But let's do the groundwork and the homework. Face sometimes what might be uncomfortable, but then start putting some practical action in place. So I love that as well. So thank you very much. Um, and uh, as I say, sh- listeners, uh, show notes and will contain all links, etc. I do recommend checking out uh, Brian's podcast, The uh, Frugal Spender, and uh, we will catch you on the next episode. Take care for now. Thank you for listening. You'll find all show notes, links and resources mentioned at midlifereshape.com forward slash podcast. And it would mean so much if you could spread the word to your fellow restless midlifers. Share the show and links. And if you aren't already, subscribe to the show in your podcast feed of choice. And one more thing. If you enjoy the show, it would be great if you could rate it by visiting midlifereshape.com forward slash review. It would mean so much, and I may even give you a shout-out in return. And a quick final thanks to production assistant Karen North of North BA and for the music, which is called Silver Star by the awesome Logan Nicholson of Music for Makers at musicformakers.com. Take care for now, and don't forget you really can reshape your midlife health and rekindle that spirit of adventure.